Hello and welcome to this week's Seagulls Weekly Podcast. Um, I'm joined by Steve Bailey, as always. Uh, hopefully Ian will be able to join us, but we're not entirely sure. So we will just get started. Um, obviously quite a big big day for Brighton on the weekend. Absolutely. Obviously up to Wembley, tens of thousands of Brighton fans going for the FA Cup semi-final. What did you make of the game itself? Because if you, if you were a neutral, it probably wasn't the best game to watch. <laughs> no, it probably wasn't. Um, from a Brighton point of view, it was the worst possible start, um, <laughs> conceding it inside four minutes. And there was probably a 10-minute spell after mm. that where you thought, if City get another here, you know, what it could end up, what, four, five, six or whatever. Um, but I thought Brighton composed themselves pretty well from probably about the 15-20 minute mark. Um, started to get forward a bit more without creating anything any real clear chances being proper dragged one wide and I'm struggling to think of much more in the first half and then second half you know I think the one instant we keep looking back on is where Duffy headed it down and Laporte hooked it hooked the ball away from underneath his own bar but from a Brighton point of view I think it was almost a perfect game plan they had to frustrate City they couldn't play an open game they couldn't go for Mm. it as such Um, you saw in the last couple of minutes where Duffy went up front and Lacardia was on where City broke quickly and I can't remember who passed it but Sterling had a volley well saved by Ryan and yeah. if Brighton had gone for it more earlier I think the only thing that would happen is rather than equalise you're looking at the more space City are going to get going forward um, and they'd have probably got a second and killed it off but I thought Brighton gave a real good account of themselves and it bodes well for the, for the rest of the season. Um, you say about... Uh the way Brighton approached it. Mm. Some pundits were critical, saying it was a wasted mm-hmm. opportunity, etc., etc. Do you think that's fair at all, or do you think that's unfair given who um, we were playing? I think it's unfair. I saw, I think it was Jermaine Genus who said Brighton have missed an opportunity. It, but for Brighton to win, Brighton had to be right on top of their game, and City yeah. had to be poor. City were poor. Brighton, I thought Brighton played well. They might not have been necessarily right on top of their game but you know what what did they expect if they if Brighton go out and attack City from the off yeah. we've seen City destroy teams in in the Premier League and Europe like all this season and last season as well and you just can't do it I mean I think the pundits are probably there hoping <laughs> they can have a bit of a City loving um, and you know hope, probably hoping that it is 4-5-0 and they've got lots to talk about yeah but you know, that was Brighton were never going to go there and do that. It's not Chris Hewitt's style. They were going to go there, try to set up to frustrate City, as they have done with all the top teams this season, where you look at how Brighton have done, you know, Liverpool home and away, 1-0 both games. City away yeah. was only 2-0. City at Wembley was 1-0. And I'd imagine Brighton would set up the same again, exact, exactly like that, for the last game of the season when they play City again. Yeah. Well, if you're watching and you were at Wembley, let, let us know how your day out was, what you made of the game. Um one big talking point in the first half was VAR because at the time I thought if VAR was looking at it, they must have seen something. And it when Carl Walker lent in with the head against Jan Bash, who who didn't react to it, and looking at replay, it seemed like if he had, that was a red card. Yeah. Like, what did you make of it well, from the press box? Obviously, when the the VAR announcement was going on and like VAR decision pending and. In front of us, we were, we all had the screens and we were seeing the replays and thinking mm, Walker's and Walker could be in a bit of trouble here because obviously yeah. he'd been booked and had the decision to see if it should be a red card. And when you looked at it in real speed, it looked like Walker did push his head forward. When you looked at it in slow mo, it didn't look 
quite so bad, mm. but there's been you know incidents like that similar this season. You know, Duffy at home to Palace was similar. Maybe maybe Duffy's was just slightly more forceful. Uh, we've seen it with Rashford, Rich- yeah, Richarlison, yeah. So is it consistency that we need more than anything else? It is. I mean, there's no. At the end of the day, everyone's talking about VAR coming in, and you don't want technology killing the game. But VAR is one different person's opinion. Like it was Paul Tierney, the VAR official, and I think he's only given one red card. I think I'm right in saying this season. Yeah. So he's not an official who branches red cards that often. Um, had so it been, it's still a subjective. Yeah. It's not like goal line technology no. where it's definitive yes or no. Yeah. It's triggered automatically. It's yeah. still down to the one. individual who's yeah. doing it. And it, if it was, for example, Mike Dean who it's was the VAR, it would be. Yeah. I mean, you almost need three referees in the VAR studio for a game like that magnitude and you almost have to have two out of three yeah. like as a, as a decision you know because if it's one person's opinion one week it's going to be a red card the next week it's not just as the same as it is at the moment with the official on the field uh, Ian is in the comments he's unable to join but he says the VAR incident was the football equivalent of umpire's call he's seen mm. them given um, like was it, you say you'd almost need three referees for each VR, but then does it become unworkable if yep. to do every game in the Premier League you'd need a team of 30 officials yeah. in an office somewhere? Exactly, it's, it wouldn't be workable like that, but at the same time, it's it's still not... like What needed to happen probably is, like we saw at the World Cup, where the man in the middle goes to watch the screen and then he makes the decision, yeah. not having another official somewhere sitting in the studio making the decision for him, he needs to have a look and say, yeah, you know what, the yellow card, I'm sticking by that. Or he needs to think, actually, that was worse than what I first thought. I will give him a red card. Um, To have another official making the same decision, you know, yeah, the referee, um, Anthony Taylor, might have still made the same decision. Um, He might have looked at it again on the replay and said, yeah, it's a yellow card. I think that would have been easier to take rather than, another official <laughs> sitting in the studio making that decision yeah. where I think if it had been someone else then it, it probably is a red card and Albion are playing 10 men for an hour. Do you think it would have been a different result because City's probably the only team in the Premier League where playing against 10 men isn't yeah. quite an advantage? I don't know. I think Albion would have got forward more, mm. possibly had a bit more space but you know, City are such a good side that they wouldn't, Brighton still wouldn't have created loads of chances. It just depends where the extra space comes from. Would it have been on the wing? Would they have got mm. more ball at the back? I, I, I don't know if if there would have been, if, if it would have been Brighton's day, but they'd have certainly had more chance of getting an equaliser playing 10 and 11. Yeah. Well, out of the players that were on the pitch for Brighton, uh, who were your standouts? I thought Knockart had a very good game, um, full of running, full of energy, as, as he often is. Yeah. But, you know, he seems to... I think Guardiola had a pep talk with him, um, no pun intended, <laughs> after um, after the City away game at the end of last season, uh, where he's talking to him on the pitch after the game, and he does seem to, you know, put on a real good performance when he plays against City. Um, Duffy and Dunk again, you know, I know Duffy was, I wouldn't say he was at fault for the goal because it was such a cracking de- yeah. delivery from De Bruyne and Jesus' movement was incredible, um, but Duffy and Dunk thought did well. Montoya, I think he deserves a mention because. You know, Sterling wasn't seen in the first half. And if you're keeping probably one of the most informed players in the Premier League quiet, then you've obviously had a pretty good game. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I think those probably were the four who are who I'd pick out off the top of my head. Yeah, I'd probably go along with that. Uh, Ian, referring to us saying about if they'd had ten men, mm-hmm. says it's always difficult difficult to judge what might have been when City are involved. You mm-hmm. never know how many gears they have. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably fair because it did yeah. feel like they never really had to get out of. No, like you, you felt there again. was more to come if they needed to to raise their game. <laughs> um, obviously, away from the game itself, it was pretty big day in mm-hmm. the club's history what was it what was your experience like going because obviously you are a Brighton fan but mm-hmm. you're also there for work yeah so what was it like what was it like going there as a reporter what what was your day like uh well we started off we left left Worthing at it was about eight in the morning because we were going up to the box park event um, yeah. before the game and we got got into box park probably about 11-ish um out quite a few Aberdeen fans already in there and you know, Tony Bloom came on stage, Gordon Smith, and that, that's when we left to go to the stadium, probably about two, half two, and you say quite a few Albion fans are already in good spirits um, by that stage. And then, yeah, we went into the gate, uh, went to the into the stadium, and um, I think the gates opened about half three, and, you know, it's filling up yeah. quite a lot. Um, uh, yeah, it was a great to see so many Brighton fans there. Um, it's a little bit of a shame to see, like, so much of Wembley, like, not, not full. For a FA yes. Cup semi-final, I think you look at the city um, area at the top, um, which was opposite us where we were sat, and you know there was like I don't know what is it, five thousand empty seats or something up there. Um, yeah, and I thought the, the atmosphere, the Brighton fans created, was good. Um, I think City, they weren't quite as loud, but then at the same time they're used to going to Wembley now. They're used to big games, and from there it's yeah. oh we're only playing Brighton, blah blah blah. Do you think that's why they didn't? sell out I think so it's got what, four trips to yeah. London in April alone yeah it's... and I think they probably expected to win well um, I think they expected to win get to the final um, but then they get fewer tickets for the final as well so obviously they're, they're sell out for that yeah um, they could potentially have Champions League you know more games if, if they um, get past Tottenham if they can overturn if they can overturn Tottenham. the deficit yeah um, so I think they probably looked at it as you know it's only Brighton. I think there'd have been. Say, I don't think there'd have been any more fans there if they were playing Watford or Wolves either. Yeah. I think that City would expect to beat all three of the teams who were in the semi-finals, and it was just a game that I don't think the fans were were too bothered about, especially 5:30 kickoff, finishing at what 7:30, getting the track last well one of the last trains back to Manchester probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it was a, a game high on their agenda, <laughs> even though it was a semi-final. Yeah, well, obviously both sets of fans approach it differently. Uh, Ian, in comments, just clarifying that the official Albion attendance on Saturday was 34,155, which, as he says, is impressive because mm. we had more fans there than we can fit in our own stadium. Exactly. Um, and it yeah, seemed like everywhere I went on Saturday, just yeah. hardly any City fans anywhere I went. No. I just saw Brighton fans everywhere, on the trains and the pubs. Uh, I bumped into Ian. On the, on the pub. <laughs> um, so... Obviously, in the press bit, you were towards the Albion end. Yeah. But, yeah, so what did you make of like the, the Albion sports? Because it felt like when it felt like Brighton fans were in amazing voice mm-hmm. and then, obviously, you can see it after three minutes and there's a bit of a lull. But then it, it did feel like across the course of a game, it was pretty consistent compared to, like, say, City. Yeah, from, from where I was at, I thought Albion fans made all the noise really there was the odd burst of chanting from the city fans uh, it might have been because i was sat nearer to the brighton fans than the city fans so i could hear them more but i think they, they were still a lot yeah. louder it um, looked like 
whereas we were all stood up yeah. to look down the other end, it looked like they were all sat down, yeah. etc. I think it was it was a day out every, every Brighton fan was looking forward to, um, like the first proper trip to Wembley since 1991, because you know the Tottenham game last year in the league, I think there was only two and a half thousand, three thousand Brighton fans who, who went to that game. Um, so yeah, everyone went there to make it an occasion uh, and enjoy it. I think when the draw came out and it was City, everyone was like, well, you know, yeah. you, you could play amazingly and still lose to City 2-3-4-0. So I think everyone went out for the day to have a good time. And I think that's what all the Brighton fans did, um, you know, regardless of the result. But I think Brighton did themselves proud in defeat. Yeah. Uh, credit to Southern Wales as well for ditching their engineering work so <laughs> they didn't have to have uh, yeah. 30,000 fans on buses. Uh, Ian says it was a brilliant day out, but he paid a heavy price on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> no more questions asked, Ian. Um, we will move on to the league now, because that is our bread and butter. Um, we've got a visit to Bournemouth, which puts everything back into sp- mm-hmm. perspective, because as nice as the FA Cup was, we are still in a relegation battle. Yeah. Is it completely must-win, or is there a bit of leeway? Um, I don't think Bournemouth's completely must-win. I'd say... Out of the two games, Bournemouth and Cardiff, obviously on Tuesday, you'd want to win one of them. I'd say, you know, if you're going to choose one, you'd want the Cardiff one as the three points to keep them at yeah. arm's length. Um, I'd say four points would be a good return, whichever way it comes, whether you draw with Bournemouth, beat Cardiff, or beat Bournemouth, draw with Cardiff, because that would still keep Cardiff at least, yeah. you know, five points behind. So I don't think Bournemouth must win, but. It would certainly ease some nerves if Brighton can win it because you don't want to think if Brighton don't beat Bournemouth and Cardiff go to Burnley and win on Saturday, then it could be just two or three points. The difference, the gap between Brighton and third from yeah. bottom and then I mean, if Cardiff coming, then it, it's a real nervy atmosphere on Tuesday because, you know, a defeat and Brighton could be in the bottom three um, come Tuesday, the end of Tuesday evening. Do you think everyone's going to have one eye on other results while the game is going on for that very reason. That I think so. I if think. news comes through that Cardiff are winning, for example, yeah. and Brighton is uh, currently drawing, do you think, think that atmosphere will start to become edgy? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you look at Brighton haven't done as well at home in the last couple of months as what, what they had done prior to that in the Premier League. And you know, they're maybe not scoring quite you know enough goals at the moment. So, yeah, I think it would become edgy. I think it would be very nervy. But an early goal on Saturday and Burnley going ahead against Cardiff and it all turns around again. Yeah. Um, you know, if Brighton win both of these two games, I think that's as job done, as good yeah. as safe with um well that'd be five games still to go. So yeah, it's it's a big, big week because this could ultimately determine the rest of the season because you wouldn't want to be going to Wolves away, Tottenham away, Arsenal away and City at home needing any 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 points. Oh, I'm sure. We could ruin City's quadruple <laughs> bid. Um, Ian says Bournemouth, we must not lose, and mm-hmm. Cardiff is a must win. I think it's probably yeah. Fair and if we play with the same levels of desire that we did against City, we will be fine. Yeah. I think players and just the club have been saying that, haven't they? Yeah. Since the, the if I think Dunk especially, if we go into the next two games with that yeah. attitude, then we should be hopefully touch wood. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with those two games in mind. What would you do as a starting lineup for the weekend? Uh, for the weekend, I wouldn't make too many changes from the cup semi-final. I think um, I think that looking at it, maybe Andoni 
could come in for Murray. Um, I think they, they'd probably start one of the two games each. Um, I would probably go with Andoni against Bournemouth because um, they've got Mefram in defence who hasn't played a lot of Premier League games and he might struggle a bit more with Andoni's pace. And then I think you probably want Murray's experience against Cardiff, which is arguably the bigger of the two games. Yeah. Um, Gross and March, we, we don't know whether they're going to be back yet. I imagine if they are, they wouldn't start anyway. Mm. Um, I'll probably The only other question mark would probably be whether Yahambash starts. He hasn't quite delivered in the last <laughs> couple of games. Very diplomatic of you. Yeah. Um, so I thought he looked, he looked all right against City. Obviously, it's a mm. tough fixture. Yeah. And But he did look at least positive. Yeah. He was running at people, which he doesn't always yeah. do. I just wish he'd taken a tumble when they got headbutted. Yes, yes. Um, and it might be one of those games where do you give Iscarado a run out for an hour? Um, because, you know, he's been getting 10 minutes here, 20 yeah. minutes there. Is it, it? I wouldn't say you you probably wouldn't want to do that against Cardiff, but if you give him an hour against Bournemouth and say, look, if he comes through this, maybe we can risk him a bit more against Cardiff as well. Um, because, you know, his pace scares opposition defenders and he's a completely different to anything else that Brighton have got um, and they have lacked a bit of pace going forward at times. So I think he's been a big loss where he's been out so much. I think he has. Compared yeah. to obviously last season he was playing pretty regularly. Yeah, I think his, his goals were you get five last season and a few assists and this season he hasn't got I don't think he hasn't got any goals and maybe one assist I think just mm. at Newcastle when Kyle turned in his shot. So I think they've missed, missed him just because as an outlet um, it doesn't quite come off for him sometimes but you know he's always a, a threat whether he cuts inside or if he goes down the left so um, I think they've just missed his pace going forward massively because there's no one else really in the team who's got the pace to go forward like he has yeah uh, hopefully you know like you say hopefully March and Gross are available so Chris Hutton can pick from anyone he wants um, looking around the league Ian says we need as much pace as possible mm. against Bournemouth so I think he'd probably go with Andoni yeah. he is the leader of the Andoni fan club <laughs> as we've established um Looking elsewhere, obviously Watford came back from 2-0 down to beat Wolves. They've been in the Premier League a few years now and have gradually Mm -hmm. built. Is that, obviously they had a reputation for just sacking managers. But is that the kind of like model, without the sacking managers, but the sort of steady build, not trying to take too big a jump, just working our way up? Is that something that you think Brighton will be... I think they'll be looking at Watford as a perfect role model, really. Um, Take away the manager sacking, because I think for the last probably three or four years, you look at all the managers that have come and gone there, and you think, oh, Watford, they can't keep sacking managers and keep staying in the Premier League, but but they have. Um, They've they've done a real good job. Um, I think Brighton will be looking at them as a team that they can try and model themselves on in terms of where you're not worried about the relegation, where you're comfortably in what eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth position, like that's they've done that for what a couple of last two or three years now, mm. um, and then yeah, you do look at the League Cup and the FA Cup as a as a good chance to to get some silverware, and I know they've got um, City in the final, but you know City could have a lot and have a rough day, and yeah. I think Watford have at the moment probably got more players who can hurt them than what Brighton have. I think that's probably fair enough. Um, if if Brighton are progressing, then we made the quarterfinal last year, <laughs> semi-final this year, so you heard it here first, we'll yeah. be in the final next year. Um, Burnley play 
Cardiff on the weekend. Are they one foot in the door of staying in the Premier League next year? Do you think you said if they win that, yeah. do you think they're done? If Burnley win that, they're, they're definitely safe because that will put them 11 points clear of Cardiff who and Cardiff have got will be five games left after Saturday. So Yeah, yeah. Um, I think even if Burnley avoid defeat to Cardiff, eight points, it's still it's still asking a lot of Cardiff to to overtake them. Um, you are looking at but there's fewer and fewer teams now in the in the battle yeah. against the drop. So if Brighton can beat Cardiff, then I think it's near enough job done. Um, but you know that that's probably easier said than done. Um, well, against a Neil yeah. Warnock side. If if we play like we did on on the weekend, yeah. we've got a better chance than if yeah. we play like we did in the previous week. Definitely. Um, talking about Watford, Ian says it shows what can be achieved. Uh, Watford have shown gradual growth and have demonstrated that you can achieve league stability and cup success. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, Burnley obviously always almost safe, I and mean, that would potentially leave Cardiff, Southampton, I mean maybe Newcastle, mm. and then Brighton as the yeah. fourth choice. Um, we will move on to our predictions now. So if you've got predictions for this game, get involved. I'll put them in the comments section of the video, so you can just copy them straight into your own comment. Uh, we will start with obviously the big game this weekend, Brighton versus Bournemouth. How do you see that? Um, it's a real tough one to call because I could, if Brighton turn up and play like they did against City, they're going to win. If they turn up and play like they did against Southampton, they could easily lose. Um, I'm going to be optimistic <laughs> and say a 2-0 home win. Uh, I was going for a 2-0 as well, which is also what Ian has gone for in the comments. Uh, Rick Gonzalez is here. Hello, Rick. Welcome back. He is more optimistic. He says 3 1, so similar scoreline, but yeah. more goals. I think we'd take either scoreline, yeah, to be honest with you. Um, next up, the other the big one we talked about Burnley versus Cardiff. Are you expecting Burnley to win that, or are you just hoping? <laughs> I, I think they will win it. I think um, Sean Dyche will know the importance of it because if Burnley lose, they're giving Cardiff that glimmer that they can still catch them. Um, I'm going to go for a 2-1 Burnley win. 2-1. I'm going to say 1-0 Burnley. It's going to be a very edgy yeah. day for everyone concerned, but I will say 1-0. Uh, Rick says 1-0 to Burnley, and Ian says Burnley to uh, Palace 0, although we're not playing Palace. I assume he means Cardiff. Um, next up, the beaten FA Cup semi-finalist, mm -hmm. other than Brighton, go to Southampton. So where do you see that one going? I think Southampton will win that. Uh, yeah, I think Wolves are very up and down for what an, an hour, 65, 70 minutes against Watford. They're in complete control, and then they, you know, I don't really quite know what happened in the last 10 minutes or so. Um, and I, you know, they, they lost at Brighton this season earlier. Um, what Wolves and they play some pretty football. They play some nice stuff, but I think they have some shocking performances in them. Hence why they lost twice to Huddersfield this season. Yeah. Um, I think 2-0 Southampton. Um, Wolves do tend to struggle at the smaller teams mm. compared to their big teams. If you look at the records yeah. of them in a mini-league with the big six, they are doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, but as they're not playing a big team, I will say one all for that one. Uh, Rick also says one all, and uh, so does Ian, in fact. So we all think score draw. Um Palace play the FA Cup finalists mm. from that game, well, from our game. 
Manchester City. I think City will edge it. I think it'll be a real tight game. You know, Palace obviously won there earlier in the season. Yeah. But City can't afford to drop any points now. Uh, I'm going to go for them to edge it 2-1. Do you think the Champions League will be a distraction, bearing in mind they lost the first leg last night? Potentially, but you know, Guardiola can't go and rotate too many players now because mm-hmm. they've got to, if they lose to Palace and Liverpool win against Chelsea, then it makes it tough for them. So I think he's just got to focus on Palace and then worry about the Champions League afterwards. Um, I don't think they can let it be a distraction at the moment, So, um, but I think they'll just have enough to beat Palace. Okay, I'm going to say 3-1 City. I think they'll be trying to bounce back yeah. from the Tottenham game. Ian says 3-0 to City and Rick says 2-0 to Man City. So we all expect Man City <laughs> to recover from last night, but yeah. in various fashions. Finally, the most glamorous game of the weekend is uh, Liverpool, Liverpool host Chelsea, yeah. which is quite a test for them when they need to win every game yeah. to have a chance of winning the league. Do you think they will win this one? Yeah, I do. I've, I think Liverpool will win 3-0. 3 nil. Yeah, I think they'll be... You know, you don't know what kind of Chelsea you're going to turn up. Um, they're either very good or very bad. They don't seem yeah. to be much in between. Um, so so I think that Liverpool will go out there and try and send out a message and I think they'll win this one relatively comfortable. I don't think it'll be quite as comfortable. I will say 2-0 and I think it'll be a bit of a tough battle. Uh, Rick says it'll be 1-0. So getting like, and Ian says two one to Liverpool. So we all think Liverpool yeah. will win it. Just you think it'll be really comfortable. Yeah. Um, that is the end of the predictions, which means it is the end of the Seagulls Weekly podcast for this week. You can follow all the build up to the uh, Bournemouth and Cardiff games on BrightonHopeIndependent.co.uk, and you can follow at Brighton Indie on Twitter, where Steve will be at both games for us. And we will be back next week where we will be discussing, hopefully, six points for Brighton and guaranteeing safety for another season. Until then, farewell.